Hey there, ghosties. It's episode 83 of the Ghost Lights Podcast, and today we sat down with someone you might not be familiar with, but you definitely know their work. Franklin Swan, the production manager of the North American touring production of Hamilton, sat down with us. We discussed how he developed his love affair with theater, how signing on to take care of a soundboard turned into a career as a production manager, and the things we can do to help propel the theater into the future. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. If you've got time to go see a show in the upcoming weekends, make sure you get your tickets to Eddie and Dave, the Catamounts production about the Van Halen duo. Now, Dan, give us some more by the Hypnotic Brass Ensemble. Ghosties, we are back. It is episode 83 of the Ghost Lights Podcast, and today we have a very special guest. Franklin Swan, the production manager of the North American tour of Hamilton, is here with us today. This is, um, I'm going to be honest, a very big get because I can't even get tickets, but we got to sit down with this guy who's like running the whole thing, but he's also going to teach me about what a production manager does and so on and so forth. But it's really cool to have you on, Franklin. Thank you so much for saying yes and making the time for this podcast. Thanks for having me. This is this is really kind of new territory for me as an actor. I think we've only had like a one stage manager or some I should say one crew tech person be involved in the pod. <laughs> uh, but anyway, let's just dive right into it. Before that actually, how are you doing? How's your day going? How's your Monday? Good. Yeah, good Monday. Nice. Busy. Did you have a did you have a fun relaxing weekend or do you not get those? I had a somewhat busy. I was actually in on the West Coast all last week with some of our productions and then I took a red eye back on Friday night. So I tried to readjust back to uh East Coast time over the weekend. Oh, man. I bet I bet that was very very re-energizing. I can Yeah. I can, you yeah. know, it's <laughs> It's I, I'm really good at the cross country flights. <laughs> I would I would imagine you'd kind of have to. Yeah, like, you become a tested vet over a short amount of time doing that travel. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, um, what, the way I usually start these podcasts is I just ask a very basic question, Franklin. Theater. How did it happen to you? Yeah, I started maybe like a lot of people in, in my side of the business on on stage and the performing end and I uh, I was in choir and on stage in middle school and uh, at some point they were like hey we need someone to run a soundboard and I was like I could probably do that <laughs> just like because I was young and I did and was like oh that's kind of fun and in high school I started doing uh, I did a lot of sound and lighting and then I did some stage management and uh what a high school stage manager does turns out is not actually what a real stage manager does, but um, difference between the two. I mean, it's just, it's definitely a, um, you do, you do some of the things, right? Like you're kind of running a room, but the actual level of responsibility that a Broadway stage manager has is uh, way, way higher, you know, and, and what they're doing and how essentially they're another director in the room. Mm -hmm. um, wasn't really that in high school, but I fell into, really loving technical theater and 
uh, as I was approaching graduation, decided maybe I would actually do this as a career. And so I uh, put a portfolio together of my work and applied to theater schools all over the country. Mm. Um, and I landed at uh, NYU at the Tisch School of the Arts. In a, They have the production and design studio, which is a tiny, tiny uh, wing of the much larger drama department. And mm. uh, so there's about 15 of us uh, total in that class. And uh, we all did lots of parts of theater, set design and costume design, sound uh, management. And uh, obviously I, I ended up focusing mostly in management and uh, kind of just fell into it from there. When you, when you signed on to like, yeah, sure, I can help run the light board. What were some of the things that you started to latch onto? Is that like, that was something that excited you? Like, what were the aspects that pulled you in deeper to that, that side of putting on a show? I liked the tech, like the actual physical technical part of it. I liked learning about all the equipment. I liked doing kind of the, the technical planning, you know, how do you do the cable runs? What type of microphone is the right microphone? And like at a very young age, just starting to figure that out because it wasn't ever something I'd really thought of. And then as I continued on, it turned, I really liked the like logistics and managerial skills that are involved in production. Um, and, and as I moved into more commercial, then I got to do kind of the finance and the budget part of it, which it turns out I also really like. Um, and so it's sort of being at the nexus of lots of like little interests of mine. Turns out production management is a really good uh, place for all of that. Yeah. Were the, it, it's so interesting to hear you talk about, you know, you were doing shows, you find this transition, just a happenstance opportunity and really get into like the minutia of putting on a show from a technical aspect. And now you're talking about this mat, ba balancing a budget. Like that is for a, an actor like myself, I couldn't even begin to start doing that. I always tell my kids at school that the only math that I know how to do is how to count money and also watch it go away. What what are the what are some of the skill sets you think are important for that side of the job? You know, I think uh, that I I, I kind of tell people if they're thinking about this that there is there's soft skills and hard skills that are really important in this, and so the hard skills uh, are some of that that technical knowledge. So if you're gonna be at a carp being the carpentry department, you know, learning how to do rigging and how, how are platforms constructed, right? Like these are technical things. There's a way they're done. There's a way they're done safely. And you can learn that in school. You can learn that in books, experience. Um, and that's sort of for every department, right? Like you can learn how do you hang a light? How do you do a light plot that you don't have dark spots? Like there's a hard technique to all these things that can be learned. Mm -hmm. And then there are, as a manager like myself, there's a lot of soft skills that are used and, and that mostly is about people management right mm. and it's about how do you work with a lot of people that are super super creative and have a lot of you know often big personalities um and help bring them all together and kind of coalesce all their ideas into a functional product mm. and then also you kind of layer on also you need to then help guide them to stay on budget and on schedule yeah. And 
And that is sort of the the soft skills is these people skills of of doing that. And that's negotiation. That's, um, you know, how do you motivate people? How do you um, get the best work out of sometimes hundreds of crew members, right? Like what mm-hmm. things can you be doing? And, and uh, mixing those two skills are what I think make really good leaders uh, in this production management world. Was that something you, you noticed that you had a, like a, maybe an innate sense for some of these things at a young age? Like, what were some of those things that stuck out to you when you were learning this this process of of being a stage manager and production manager that that you that you like? Oh man, I'm actually good at this people management thing. To me, that seems like a skill that would take. And and forgive me, just I met you 20 minutes ago, not even, and. I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm older than you. So there's this part of my brain that's like, it's amazing that someone younger than me would be fascinated and like into this idea of like working with large numbers of people to put on one, like to, to steer a ship, which is what's putting on a show is like yeah. in one direction. How did you come across finding those things like exciting you? Yeah, I mean, I always loved um, kind of stepping up into leadership roles in, in high school. I was, uh, I was the president of the choir. I was, uh, you know, a, a leader. I did, you know, did kind of all these opportunities where I learned and was given opportunities to kind of help lead groups and, and develop that skill set. Um, and I think it's, it's also a thing I, and probably this is true for most backstage people. Like for me, I really find kind of this joy in the collective product at the end. Like I don't necessarily need to be on stage or be in the spotlight. Like it's great when, you know, people behind the scenes get recognized and I think it's, it's awesome. But for me, like that moment of seeing the curtain go up and I'm standing in the back of the house I feel like that sense of joy and pride from like the collective effort of the hundreds of people that came together to do that. And I found that being in a management leadership position gave me that fulfillment uh, in a way that like even being on stage didn't. Mm. Um, and, and that has been you know, ultimately kind of what drives me is like being able to be in those positions. Yeah. That it's, that's really, that's really cool. I mean, so often one of the things that I struggle with just personally as just not even as an artist, but just as a man is, you know, ego and, and being able to, I don't know, just kind of be, allow those types of things to happen without me having to chime in. And it's really cool that that was something that you found was just, that was where your reward came in, was watching that curtain go up for everyone to take their bows and know that like, we got the lights in the right spot, we got the costumes that right, we got you know, that, that rip in the sock, we got that stitched up and we're back, back you know, the quick change went off without a hitch. Like yeah. there's a lot of moving pieces and, and to be like, it makes sense as you talk about it, to watch all of the things that go on and putting on a show work out that in and of itself is your standing ovation. Totally. What are some of the things that drive you up a wall that make your job really difficult? Cause like, 
I can think of a million things, but I've never done what you've done. I've never done what Dan's done. So like, it would be really cool to get your perspective on like, yeah, it's really great to have all those things go on, but it'd be a so whole lot easier if blah. Yeah. I mean, there are, I feel like there's a lot of things that make this job challenging at times. And so some of them are like physical things. Um, I think people are often really surprised when they come backstage to Broadway theater. They're very tiny. They're tiny little spaces and they're very old, right? These theaters have been around for sometimes over a hundred years, right? And so we are working in spaces that are physically very challenging. And it means that we do all sorts of weird and creative things. Um, you know, like I laugh, we still on Broadway have houses that don't have um, fly systems with line sets, you know, like we do hemp rigging still um, fairly often, which is a thing like, I don't, I've never encountered it anywhere else in the country, but on Broadway, like that's a skill set that people still have to have. Um, and so there's some of it's that. And then when we tour, we bring shows on the road. Similarly, we are going to venues all over the country that have wildly different specifications. Mm-hmm. And part of the fun, but certainly the biggest challenge we have is like, how do we design a production that is going to work in theaters that you know vary from like a thousand seats to five thousand seats and and you know the backstage could be half as big in one city as it is in another Mm -hmm. so those are sort of like like physical challenges that can make your job very stressful Mm -hmm. um obviously we also are working with in in commercial theater which is mostly what i do we are working with um people's money and, and an investment that they've made and so there is um, a, you know, a responsibility that we're taking to try and do the best show we can with the resources that we've been allocated and the financial pressure um, challenging to, to do. And as shows get more and more uh, technically advanced, like more money is put into our side of it, right? Like if you see a show like Aladdin and... Uh, uh, which is is one of our shows, like, you know, there's flying carpets. There's all this, like, very elaborate technical stuff. Um, and so managing that's hard. And then I said, like, my one of my favorite parts is working with all the people. Um, also, probably the hardest thing is working with people. Um, mm-hmm. You said you're, you, you work with kids. And, like, uh, you know, anytime you're working with large groups of people, there's always going to be a lot of varying opinions. There's going to be a lot of conflicting needs. Um, and then also, you know, these, it's these people's livelihoods, right? Whether it's a designer, it's a stagehand, it's a, a stage manager, a venue manager, like this is everyone's livelihood. So they are trying to do their best, um, to do that. And so you want to manage all these people's expectations and needs. Um, and now we, you know, Hamilton has grown to be a, a really large organization. At the end of the day, we have five companies just here in the United States, um, and a couple international. And so we have h- literally hundreds and hundreds of employees that work at Hamilton. And so it is challenging to make sure we're taking care of all our people all the time, all over the country. Oh, yeah. um, and that has been something that I've really had to kind of learn and keep continue to learn, like, how do I best support my people? Mm. And that is 100% the hardest part of the job. <laughs> how... 
how important is it for someone in your position, like flexibility and not having an ego? Do you think, do you feel, I mean, or does the ego get in the way sometimes? I think, um, I think you have to have a little bit of an ego because sometimes you are, um, like you have to be willing to be like, no, I'm right. And like, I want to push, push this ahead because it, again, in an organization this large, you can't always lead by consensus. Mm -hmm. Um, I like to think that I lead by taking information from a lot of people that are smarter than me, you know, subject area experts, you know, the really, really good rigor, a really, really good sound mixer, uh, you know, all these professionals, that's what they do. I'm really good at synthesizing information from those people and um, hopefully making the best decision. So there's a little bit of ego in there. Yeah. Um, but uh, then I do think that you have to be able to set that ego aside enough to like be receptive to all these people who, you know, you mentioned I'm, I'm a little on the younger side of, of being a production manager. You know, there are people that have been doing this for so many years mm. um, and they have just more experience than me. And I want to learn from their years of experience. And so set that aside and, and be able to be receptive to that is important. Um, and I think flexibility, I mean, flexibility, I think is more in terms of this is not a nine to five job in any way. Mm. Uh, we work when we're in production, you know, we work 8am to midnight and I usually get there before 8am to make sure the trucks are there and I stay late to write a report. Um, you know, so we work crazy hours. We, you know, shows happen at night when most people are, you know, that's their leisure time. That's our work time. Mm -hmm. um, so we have very bizarre schedules. We crisscross the country on these tours um, more than me. I mean, my, the teams that are on our national tours live on the road, you know, 365 days a year, bringing shows to people all over the country. So that sort of understanding that your lifestyle is going to be very different than, uh, that of your family, that of many of your friends, like you kind of got to know that going in. Um, and again, it's a hard part of the job, right? So that work-life balance can be tricky. Mm. Well, it actually brings up a great point. And I, I, as you talk about the, the commitment that this takes, um, what, if you can, what are some of the things that you do to help give you that work-life balance? Cause like, I, I, I would, I would think when you do have time to yourself, that's not, you know, 8 a.m. to midnight, always, I, I, would, I, I would get the impression that you're like, it's go, 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 maybe an hour here to eat, but then you're still maybe checking your phone, emails and so on and so forth. And then it's back to go, 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 go again. Like, what are some of the things you do to get that balance back? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, uh, it's a bit of setting boundaries and understanding your own limitations. And I know I have, um, over the, you know, the years I've been working on this, I've, I'm getting better at understanding, like, what do I need to, you know, physically and mentally continue to like support myself? Cause it's so easy to just like work, work, work all the time. And you get into this sort of like tunnel vision of it. Yeah. Um, you know, and for me, it's like, I'll, after I do a big project, I'll have been working for like a couple months and sometimes out of town. I like always block off to a week or two weeks from like, I'm going on vacation. Bye. <laughs> uh, you know, don't call me. Uh, and so that's, that's important to me. And like travel's really important to me. So I get to do that, whether it's going 
back to Colorado and seeing my family where I grew up or going like some foreign place and, and getting off the grid a little. Um, and then it's about, you know, you build these really incredible friendships with all these people because you're spending so much time with them. And so that is also, I think, really fortunate that then you have these incredible people with you while you're doing this. And so it's like, okay, we just worked 12 hours today, but now we're going to go have a really good meal and a couple of good drinks and go do something fun. Um, and you just kind of have to inject that into your work. Otherwise you, like I said, like it's ton- easy to go tunnel vision and forget that there's other fun stuff out there. Um, let's, let's just backtrack a little bit because again, I mentioned how, how fascinating I find all this now that we're back and rolling. I want to ask you to kind of go over what were like you to know how to do commercial production managing. That wasn't something that you could like necessarily experience through a college course or. Yeah. I mean, you know, we had uh, classes in production management in, uh, in college to understand the basics of it. But I think what, I mean, particularly for a commercial, what you can't get in the educational setting and even to an extent in kind of like community setting is the, the, the labor and, and the finances of labor, right? Like a huge part of what I do is about payroll and labor. Um, so that was such a learn on the job thing. Um, and I, I literally did not know the job that I have existed when I went to college. And then I was at, you know, one of the top theater schools in the country. And I still didn't really know what the job is when I graduated, you know, and is, I was convinced I was going to be a stage manager. I started my time at Hamilton um, as the stage management PA. Um, and, And that's where I met my boss. And he was like, hey, you seem like you might be a good production manager. You want to come do that? And I literally just fell over into this world of production management and found out, oh, actually, I really do like this. That's that's awesome. What is the company that, is it, is it Hamilton? That's the, the uh, we talked earlier before we really dove into this, that was like lending people out to work on these productions or what's the name of the yeah so i work for a company called hudson theatrical associates um so neil mazella is our uh our ceo and kind of the the head lead production manager of of all all these shows um (laughs) and then there's a number of us that work at this company and essentially what we are is is technical consultants production consultants and so many broadway shows and big live events and things like that will hire hudson to come manage all the kind of production aspect for them. So um, basically we, we help, you know, production management in a nutshell, production management one-on-one here. Um, what we do is we start by working with the designers and we say, hey, you know, what are you thinking? Let's look at your designs. And we work with them and then a bun- either, you know, a scene shop, a lighting shop, a sound shop, to translate their design into reality. And so that means we solicit bids to help the finance. We also help kind of translate, you know, art to uh, physics. You know, sometimes you're like, oh, how are we going to make that look like it's floating? And we kind of can help guide that process. Um, Then we 
we'll do a lot of the budgeting and figure out how much is it going to cost to build this show? How much is it going to cost to load that show in? Um, if it's a tour, we'll figure out all the logistics. How many trucks does it take to move this from one city to the next? Um, we hire the crew. We figure out how many crew you need to run the show, how many crew you need to load it in, uh, to load it out, all of that. And then we, we manage all those, the crew um, and the kind of their day-to-day, make sure they're, they're supported. And then we also... Uh, you know, once it's in the theater, we run the tech process. So we uh, work with the production stage manager to run tech throughout the day and, and address whatever notes come up, whatever changes come up, um, kind of figure out how it all is going to work to get to opening night. And then once it's open, we uh, kind of maintain it, right? We do whatever it is to make sure it's going to run eight times a week, look and sound just like it did on opening night. Um, and then again, if it's a tour, we figure out how to do that, but also bring it around to lots of different theaters around the country. What, if you don't mind me asking, like what I experience as an actor here, usually there's like a four week rehearsal process, a five week run in the middle of that. There's a week of tech, maybe with two days dedicated purely to queuing Mm -hmm. that could be done over the weekend with some 10 out of 12s. Or like on a Monday night, and, and I guess that yeah, would have now more consistently. I'm having weekends with like a ten out of twelve, and maybe a day off or a shortened day the next day. Yeah. What is what does a schedule look like for you putting on Hamilton? Yeah, I mean it can it varies on show based on the show, but um, we start if we're launching a brand new production, we probably start looking at it six months to a year before it ever is gonna um, be on the stage. And, and we'll start that process of the design and, and getting it built. Um, depending on how technically complex it is, it could take from one month to six months to actually physically build the stuff and put the lighting package together and all that. And um, costumes often are really, really long lead time. I don't, I don't know if you've uh, seen Hamilton on Disney Plus or live or anything, but um, we have really beautiful, intricate costumes on Hamilton, and there's a lot of them. Um, and our costume team works literally year round to make sure all the costumes are being made and kept up. They have this is a little detour, but they have a super cool studio here in New York where we have it's like a library of costumes because people, you know, as a new actor comes in or a, an actor moves between companies. We have lots of the costumes in lots of sizes. So we can say, oh, this actor is coming in. They're playing Jefferson and they're whatever size. And they'll go through and like pull out, okay, we need one of these and one of these and ship it out to them. Um, it's a very cool building <laughs> or a, a studio. That, that, that would definitely be on my tour list if I could get, like if I traveled to New York, that would be something I'd want to see because that just sounds amazing. Yeah, it's, and they're, they are so good at what they do. It is something I can't do. I can't sew. I can't stitch. I can't any of that. So it is um, always impressive to me what they're able to do. Um, but uh, going back, load-ins are usually um, like very basic rule of thumb. We load in for about the same amount of time that a show is in rehearsal. Um, often those things kind of coincide and then we meet up at the theater together. Um, for tech week and 
tech week varies um, very much based on the size of the show and the technical elements. Um, I've done, you know, two person straight plays and we tech the whole thing in, you know, five days. And then on a huge musical, it might, we might be in tech for three weeks. Um, and then in uh, the commercial world or um, big regional theaters, then we would do previews, um, which are paid performances, full audiences. But during the day, we are in either working on notes or doing rehearsal and the directors and the creative team use that as a period to like get feedback basically from the audience and continue to make tweaks and changes. And that is anywhere from a month to two months of previews. Um, and I think you would find most of uh, the people on stage and off stage would say that's like the most tiring time because you're doing all this work every day and then you have to like go out and do the show every night. Um, so that is a super challenging but often rewarding time. Um, and then, yeah, hopefully, you know, most of the time the goal of these shows is open-ended runs and they could run from I personally have had a wide range of lengths. You know, some shows have succeeded and done really well. Hamilton, obviously, we're in our sixth year on Broadway. And uh, I've also had shows that have only run, you know, a few weeks. <laughs> I was I was kind of surprised. And maybe you can elaborate more on this process, like the week of previews where audience is allowed to provide feedback. I mean, I've we've had previews here before. And maybe a select number of the people that were invited that night can actually reach out to the director and say, I didn't. It's more, it's less um, direct feedback and more the director watching the audience. Like, did that joke land? Were they engaged? You know, I think you're right. There's like a select group of people that are coming in who know the creative team and might give actual feedback. But really it's about putting the show in front of an audience and saying, did that work? Be and for so many, you know, I've had the privilege to work on several brand new shows, brand new plays. And so it's really, I mean, even for the, the writer, right? They're like, oh, like this joke is almost perfect. I think if we tweak it and they'll, you know, change it every a little bit each night until it really is right. And, you know, that is an opportunity that not everyone gets, right? I think in a lot of... Um, you know, in regional houses, right? You're working with a script that's been done and like finished, stamped. <laughs> um, but we really are able to use previews as a time to like shape and form these plays, which is actually like super fun. No, that, that sounds amazing. I mean, even uh, on the production manager side to like just have the, the playwright in the house as a touchstone you can go back and follow up with. It's, it's different than just dealing with a director and a, and a hard copy of the script. Absolutely. It's um, it's like such an incredible privilege to have all like really all these creative minds in the room at the same time. And uh, I mean, like one of the most we don't rarely do we get involved in kind of that creative conversation, but I love to just witness it happen. Right. And like the conversation between um, last season, I did The Inheritance. I don't know if you saw it. It, uh, it just won the Tony for the best play this year. Um, and it was a seven hour epic play. Um, yeah. And it's a beautiful, beautiful piece of writing. Um, Stephen Daldry directed and Matthew Lopez wrote it. And watching the two of them collaborate um, to 
bring the show and they'd already worked on it once on a West End production. And they came here and they said, well, I think we still think we can do better. We want to do more. Um, and it, it's such a privilege to watch these people like craft something that I think, you know, in 10, 20, 30 years down the road is going to be like an iconic piece of theater. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it certainly sounds like it. If it's already, if it's already getting that type of recognition, but like, seven like seven hours like i was in the kentucky cycle oh yeah that's like i mean compared to like angels in america i i don't know i would put angels in america a little higher up but that is still an undertaking and that has stood the test of a very long amount of time yeah the kentucky cycle so i mean to see them crafting it in the moment and reshaping it after it's already received i'm sure some positive buzz on the west end yeah. Forgive me. If I ever sound like, you know, an out of townie, you, you call me out. <laughs> no, a hundred percent. I mean, that's, it's a, is very cool process. Mm. When you look at what your job is now and you know, what's, I, w- I would assume available to you within the company or in other places, like what are some of the things that you are trying to do? actively to are you looking at getting bigger in your role or is that something that's not even entering your mind right now yeah i mean i think always look like i feel like we're always looking for growth and as a company right now i think we are um you know we were hugely affected by the pandemic right as as i think kind of everyone in the arts and and particularly live performance space was right and so we saw that especially in New York. Yeah. And, and so we, I think we all have asked ourselves, what else can we be doing? What other services can we be offering? How can we diversify what we do? Um, and so we have been working really hard at kind of continuing to grow what we do. And, and for me, that is something I'm very much interested in, in being a part of that growth and, and working with our, our team to do. And so we've, we've moved into some other areas. Um, I mentioned, uh, I, I work on the Times Square Ball, which you know drops in New uh, Time or New Year's Eve Ball, which drops in Times Square every year. Um, and so we're working on projects like that. We've um, started doing projects with um, major theme parks all over the world, actually, um, where we're helping them not just with shows, which we do some of their shows, but also with, you know, how do we put the theming together for a ride, um, and how can we help, you know, bring what is essentially management of a creative process to a different field. Um, I did uh, the, you know, the Met Gala. So the Met Gala is associated with a really big uh, exhibit that opens at the Met every year. So right before the pandemic, I did that exhibit for the Met, uh, which is called Camp. And, you know, for me, it was such a great learning experience. It was working in a museum is both incredibly similar and very different than working in a theater, right? Um, but I loved like getting to learn that new skill set, um, and I want to keep doing more of that. Mm, that's that's really cool. I, I I I can when we were talking about earlier when we came back from the little pause that we took when you were talking about what you had an anticipation of being the the field that you were getting into. I, I bet working and assisting in like theme creations of rides at amusement parks, that probably wasn't 
I, I don't even think that would be a thought that would jump into your brain. That's really cool that this opportunity is 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 got you into all these different fields. Yeah, and I think it's um, sort of a testament to what I think is the value of a theater education. You know, I um, I think that there is so much you can do with it, right? Like at the end of the day, we are uh, we're people, people, you know, we're really good at working with people and working with creative things and problem solving. And yeah, I didn't ever think like, oh yeah, I'm definitely gonna be working in the architectural field with my theater degree, but like here I am. And I think that it is like a weirdly versatile skill set to be a theater person. And it's been nice to be able to I mean, my bread and butter is theater. I love doing that, but it is great when I get to branch out and try something different. One of the things that when I was, when I was in college and I finally decided to major in theater, one of the things I had always heard was that if you make your major stage management, something in the tech side of things, you're always going to have a job. And I, I never fully understood it. And it was as I got older watching all the things that come into the job that you have to make a part of your toolbox. Yeah. Like to say to, I would, I mean, I, I, I haven't experienced this in a very long time, but there were, there were periods of time where people would discredit the, the tech side and the crew side of it to limit them as artists. And I feel like, they are true Renaissance people in this already artistic field that requires an actor to be able to do maybe a multitude of accents, maybe play an instrument, things like that. They, you've got to know so many things and to, at the very least be able to contribute to the conversation to get a thing built. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it is, um, it is an art form in and of itself. It's not, um, you know, it's not, performing art like necessarily but it is um certainly like super high skilled people doing something that is you know at that junction of of technical and creative absolutely how do you see commercial theater on the scale that you're at changing since the pandemic great question yeah i mean i think one thing that we saw during the pandemic that i hope continues is we saw some of the filmed versions of theater being released. Um, I worked on the Disney plus version of Hamilton. Um, I also did the HBO version of uh, David Burns, American Utopia, which if you've gotten the chance to watch it, it's fabulous, fabulous production. Um, and I think for me, I hope that's something that stays um, and runs parallel with live production because it is, it is very different than seeing a show in person. And I think the, collective experience of seeing a performance with 1500 of you know strangers is really uh like part of the human experience i also think that by filming it and releasing it on these streaming services we increase accessibility in a way that we can never do right like a night at a broadway show is like maybe a hundred dollars per ticket you got to come to new york you have to get you know like it's cost prohibitive and we really limit um, who can see theater and it becomes this sort of elitist thing, which I think if you look at the history of theater was never the intent. Um, so I love that when we released Hamilton on Disney plus we being Jeffrey, our amazing producer, um, 
that suddenly this thing that is like iconic and so many people want to see it, democratized it, right? Like almost anyone can see it. You pay $7.99 for your month of Disney or whatever it is. And you get to, anyone can see it, whether, you know, whether you live somewhere far away or whether you um, socioeconomically, you know, in different places, it is such a cool experience. So I think that that's something that probably continues to grow as streaming services, like, gobble up content, they realize this is really cool content. Um, I also think that we as an industry had a reckoning, like much of the country had a reckoning about inequality um, amongst the people that work in theater. Um, and particularly off stage, um, we need to do better. We just have to do better. Um, and there's a lot of, of factors into why, you know, if you look at like who works backstage, it just tends to be a lot of like straight white dudes, um, which is not reflective of the what's happening on stage or of the demographics of our communities. Um, and I've seen a ton of really great work um, from all of us, my, my colleagues and, and people across the industry in figuring out ways like how can we do a better job with that. So I think that that will be a thing that's here to stay and is for the better and hopefully pushes us to like even do more interesting work, right? We're getting more, more viewpoints and more experiences into the room that we're making these stories in. And that only, only leads to better work coming out at the end. So I think that's, that's happening. Um, I think from like a, just a recovering from a pandemic standpoint, we are still navigating what that is. Um, and it was really important that we could show audiences that we could reopen safely, that we could have 1500 strangers in a room, you know, all sitting together and do that safely. Um, and while po maybe politically divisive, you know, the, the Broadway theaters are requiring vaccines or negative tests and everyone's wearing a mask and, we're doing all these things to ensure the safety of the audience and the people performing and backstage. And I think that was really important. And now it's about continuing to increase the visibility of saying, well, come to New York, you know, tourism is open again. And I'll, I'll tell you, I came, I was in New York in, in January of this year and we reopened our office. We were going into our offices and Times Square was empty, just empty. And to see it now, I mean, I was walking around Times Square the other night and it was packed again. And it feels like the revival is coming. So I think, I think theater is coming back. I think it's going to take a little while, but I think uh, we're on that road. And I think there's pent up demand for it. I, we all spent a whole year watching Netflix on our couch. And that, whether it's live theater or a live concert, a comedy show, um, dance, uh, orchestras. I think all of those live experiences, people are so ready to get back to. I know I was. Um, and I hope that we can kind of all come back and enjoy that again. Mm. One of the things you just touched on that it seems obvious in the moment, but it's also kind of refreshing is I know you had said, I know I was looking forward to the theater coming back. You're, you're a fan of the art as well for sure with it 
it seems like that would be another important thing to have in the tool chest in order to do the job that you're doing on the scale that you're doing it at. Would that be pretty on the ball? I think so. And I think it's, um, you know, there's what's, what's the saying is like, love what you do. You'll never work a day in your life. And I don't really agree with that because we work really hard. Um, but I do think that loving, loving what you do makes it so much more enjoyable to come in and do, you know, the long days and the stress. Um, and it's not that like, I go see a show every single night. You know, I, I sort of joke with my friends that like, you know, accountants don't go home and do more accounting. Um, you know, when I finish a day, I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't want to be in a dark theater ever again. But then, you know, zooming out, I love that I get to like be a part of this community and see, you know, all my colleagues doing shows. And, and, you know, when we go out to dinner, we all talk about, you know, what's the last thing you saw? What's really good? What's, what's up and coming, you know? Um, and it's fun to just be surrounded by that all the time. <laughs> yeah. Who do you think, or do you even have an opinion on that should be like the ideas of like creating more diversity backstage? Is that incumbent on, you know, is that, do you, is there like a direction you look to, like you need to make this more, or is that something that is a, that is a responsibility of everybody in the field? I mean, I think it is the responsibility of all of us to um, look at how we can do that and, and, you know, examine our own biases or our own hiring practices, whatever it is. Um, ultimately, I also think it's a lot about creating opportunities for people. And, uh, you know, I went to a high school where they had a really great theater program and I got exposed to it at the right age, you know, all these things. And not everyone has that opportunity. And, and I think for so many of us in theater and, you know, this is not a scientific study, but in my own kind of discussions with friends and colleagues, you know, that like middle school, high school age is such a formative time to like start loving the arts and loving theater that I think we really need to start there and exposing um, people of all walks of life from all backgrounds, you know, all uh, class and creed to the arts and, and let them experience the joy that it brings us and then enable them to continue into that career. Um, you know, college training programs for theater are um, overwhelmingly white are, um, and often it has to do with cost, right? Like it's um, super expensive. The, as we all know, the ROI on a theater education is often kind of, um, called into question, you know, your college counselor probably would, would not like first thing encourage you to go get a theater degree. Um, uh, <laughs> so it's like, I think all those things are like, there's incremental changes along the whole process. Um, and then it's, it's about, you know, from my end, it's about investing in training people who come from less traditional backgrounds, who um, have maybe less experience, but saying, oh, you have the right skill set, you have the drive, you just haven't had the opportunity yet. 
well, we want to invest in giving you the opportunity. And um, tons of, uh, not tons, but a number of people have started to do that. And I think more are coming. Um, the general management company that does Hamilton has a really incredible program that just launched called uh, Beyond the Stage Door, where they are providing um, a training program for people that want to be managers in the commercial theater, stage managers, company managers, general managers, um, and they're funding it uh, so that it's an opportunity that you're, um, yeah, beyond the stage door. Um, and there are other programs just, you know, similar to that in lots of different areas for, uh, that are rolling out. And I think that that is like putting our money where our mouth is, right? That not only are we saying we want to do this, but people have to do the work and, and put, um, you know, put up the, the funding and the opportunities to actually do it. So I don't think it's a short, quick solution. I think it's a long-term thing where we can transform the industry. Absolutely. Um, before we transition out of here, I, I, you mentioned talking to your friends about like them asking you what's new and upcoming. What, what are some things that we should be looking for coming out of New York, like show-wise? Oh, um, well, uh, from, from kind of the like my world, my Broadway world, um, coming out uh, – Hades Town's national tour is is coming out, um, which is like just an incredible piece of theater. I kind of I joke joke, but not really joke that it is my dad's absolute favorite show. He um, this is an interesting tidbit, I guess, but he had seen like some plays in Denver and and maybe a Broadway play, but he had never seen a Broadway musical until I brought him to Hamilton, and he was like, "Oh, this is really good." And then a couple of years later, he came and I took him to Hades Town, and uh, I laughed because he like loves Hades Town probably more than he loves Hamilton. Um, <laughs> uh, so that's a really special show that's coming out. I'm excited um, for that to hit the road. Um, there's also an incredible production of Oklahoma coming um, that I am fascinated to see how it goes on the road, and I think like. Oklahoma is this classic musical. We all kind of know it. Um, and I saw the production in New York and like, I know it's not your mother's Oklahoma. It is the craziest version of this show I've ever seen. It points out, they didn't change any of the words, any of the songs, but they just like through the direction, through the acting pointed out how messed up that show is, which I didn't really realize. And it is, and it's great. Like, my heart was racing multiple times during Oklahoma. That's all I like. So that's coming to a theater near you soon. Um, also highly recommend it's a wild ride. <laughs> <laughs> I know we in Denver, we had an like an all black cast production of Oklahoma. Oh, interesting. That got rave reviews. Yeah. I was busy at the time in my own show. I couldn't go see it. Um, but I also was broke and not, not thinking in terms of seeing shows. But anyway, that's, that's really cool that they're, that's one of the things like I, I've had conversations with other theater people and, and we talk about the productions that get put on, especially after a pandemic, you wanted to, like, there were a lot of theater companies that are thinking, let's do something that the audience is going to gravitate towards. So they usually sure. gravitate toward, like they, they like theater to be comfort food 
in these times. Yeah. I should say any entertainment. So something that they're familiar with, like in Oklahoma, being, it sounds like flipped on its head to like also, hey, this is the thing that you remember, but it's also going to challenge you in a different way. Like that's the stuff that really excites me. It's like it's one thing to put on Hamlet, but how can we make that relevant and and sing louder in 2021, 2022 as we get closer to that than we did the first time you saw it, you know, when you were in middle school or high school. Totally, totally. Mm. Um Franklin, I've had an amazing time talking to you and I'm and I really appreciate you coming on. As we get to this stage in the pod, I always ask, what's that ghost light you'd like to leave on for the next generation, which loosely translates to what's that piece of advice that you wish you had gotten before you started your career that you'd want to make sure other people heard? Yeah, I I mean, I think for me, the thing that I have, I've like learned and seen, it's such a collaborative um, art form no matter where you are in it, whether you're on stage, whether you're off stage, you're in the orchestra pit, you know, it, it's so collaborative amongst all these people that I think just take any opportunity that comes up. And whether that means, you know, you are an actor and they, someone says, do you want to try stage managing? Just try it because you might love it. You might not, but you will at the very least have a better perspective for how your fellow collaborators work and what their role in this bigger picture is. And at the best, you're like, oh my gosh, this is a thing that I maybe want to learn more about. I want to do more. And I think that those experiences, both from like a logistical or logistical, maybe not the right word, a career standpoint could be really great. But I think from just a making art, making theater, understanding what goes into it from every perspective makes better shows. Um, And so just jump into situations that maybe it's not your first choice of a opportunity, but you can see where it's going to be beneficial. Just try it. And I think that that opens doors, it opens connections, and it leads to being a better theater maker in whatever aspect you end up doing it. Here, here. Couldn't agree with you more. Um, I want to do actually something brand new. This just came to me now. And I feel like it's going to be, you're going to be my test audience, Franklin. I'm in. What, what are some of the things at this moment that you love about yourself? Oh, um, I love that. I, I love that. I like said this thing in middle school and high school that I wanted to like be in the theater. And I threw some very hard times and through some really great times, like I'm, I'm doing it. I am doing this thing. And I love that I get to um, say that I am chasing a dream every day. Like I'm tracing my childhood dream. And I love that. And I think I love that I get to um, be a part of this community. It's, it is, um, the theater community is just so special to me that it's the people, it's the audience, it's the stories. And I think, it's so incredible to be a part of it. And uh, it does, it brings me kind of this joy to just be in that world all the time. Mm. Well, that's, that's abundantly clear. Thank you so much, Franklin. Um, I wish you nothing but success going forward. 
take that time for you when you need it. It's it's really awesome that you took the time to sit down with us. Um, just thank you from the bottom of my heart. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. Great. Thank you. Um, this is the Ghost Lights Podcast, episode 83. The guest, Franklin Swan. Dan, do the damn thing. Uh-huh.